Hotep, everybody. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. It is Tuesday, March 21st, 2023, and we are live. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecture writer, and historian. So I've talked about this topic before, and I'm going to talk about it on uh, Faraji Muhammad's show, The Culture, probably on Thursday of this week. And this deals with Black World War II veterans, African-American World War II veterans, and how they were discriminated against when it came to using the GI Bill. And the GI Bill changed the landscape in this country of who got to go to college. And it helped. Uh, it was one of the tools of the federal government that uh, helped white people to create uh, generational wealth. OK, so you've heard me talk about this before. Uh, on the African History Network show. And uh, I posted an article a couple of days ago dealing with how House Democrats are trying to uh, get a new uh, get a new bill passed that would uh, restore uh, the GI Bill. So we'll discuss Black World War II uh, veterans were discriminated against using GI Bill benefits while white veterans built wealth. House Democrats pushed to restore GI Bill to help benefit uh, African-American families uh, and, and families of uh, black World War II vets. So share this broadcasting and social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in. OK, so the, the 1944 uh, GI Bill's promise was denied to one million uh, black World War II veterans due to racism. The GI Bill Restoration Act uh, to resolve uh, to, to resolve GI Bill racial inequities introduced by Representatives James Clyburn of South Carolina and Representative Seth Moulton, a Democrat of Massachusetts, uh, would help benefit the families of Black World War II veterans and highlight the story of World War II uh, veteran Sergeant Isaac Woodard, Sergeant Isaac Woodard, who I've talked about here on the show before. And uh, he was an African-American sergeant who served in World War II and he was dishonorably, he was honorably discharged. He was honorably discharged. And he um, was beaten by a, a white police officer in South Carolina and he was blinded uh, as a result of the beating. Okay. And this, um, he was blinded in 1946 and the attack on uh, Sergeant, Sergeant Isaac Woodard helped to fuel the modern day civil rights movement. All right. Now, this is one of the policies that would help repair the damage of 246 years of uh, slavery, decades of Jim Crow segregation, redlining, housing discrimination, racism, segregation when it comes to homeownership, getting jobs, college tuition, bank loans, etc. OK, so this is what we're going to uh, discuss today. And also, we're celebrating the 13th year anniversary of the African History Network show, uh, first uh, broadcasted March 10th, uh, 2010. This is the 13th year. This month is the 13th year anniversary of the African History Network show. So we're celebrating that as well. And you can help to support the African History Network, help us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, etc. Dollar Dial sign The AHN Show through Cash App. Dollar sign The AHN Show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Uh, and then also at our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Okay, so let's look at this. Uh, let's look at this history lesson 
and we'll we'll talk about the uh, current bill that is being reintroduced as well. So if we look at this article here from um, history.com, the official website of the History Channel, FDR signs GI Bill, FDR signs GI Bill, okay? So this takes place towards the end of World War II, and it's right after um, uh, D-Day in Normandy, uh, June 6, uh, 1944. Um, if we look at this here, June 22, 1944, FDR signs GI Bill. On June 22, 1944, U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signs the GI Bill, which was an unprecedented act of legislation designed to compensate returning uh, members of the armed forces known as GIs, okay, stands for government issue, GIs, uh, for their uh, efforts in World War II. Now, as the last of the sweeping New Deal reforms, President Roosevelt's administration created the GI Bill, which was officially known as the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944, the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944. And uh, his administration created this bill, hoping to avoid a relapse into the Great Depression and the Great Depression basically begins in 1929 when you had the stock market crash of October 1929, hoping to avoid a relapse into the Great Depression after um, World War II ends. President Roosevelt particularly wanted to prevent a repeat of what was known as the Bonus March of 1932, the Bonus March of 1932. And this was a uh, March when you had 20,000 uh, unemployed uh, veterans and their families who uh, went to Washington, D.C. to protest, okay? This was known as the Bonus March of 1932. So he wanted to avoid something like that happening again and the embarrassment of something like that happening as well uh, while World, World War II was taking place. So the American Legion which was a veterans organization, successfully fought for many of the provisions included in the GI Bill, which gave returning servicemen access to unemployment compensation, low interest home and business loans, and most importantly, funding for education. Unemployment compensation, low interest uh, uh, loans to buy homes and to, buy, uh, and to uh, start businesses, and also money to go to school, okay, college or trade schools. Now, uh, by giving veterans many, uh, by giving veterans money for tuition, living expenses, books, supplies, and equipment, the GI Bill effectively transformed higher education in America. And th this this changes the GI Bill changes largely who gets to go to college. All right. And it helps create a lot of wealth and generational wealth for a lot of white families. Now, before World War Two, OK, and the U.S. gets involved in World War Two in 1941, uh, this, uh, December 1941, because of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Now, World War Two actually begins. September 1939, when Adolf Hitler invades Poland. Incidentally, Ukraine 
is bordered by Poland and Russia. So Russia invading Ukraine is in the region where World War II started. So before the war, college had been an option for only 10 to 15 percent of young Americans and university and university campuses had become known as a haven for the most privileged classes, a haven for the most privileged classes. Okay. Now by 1947, vets made up, um, vets made up half of the nation's college enrollment, okay? So you're looking at basically like two years after uh, World War II ends, okay? Veterans make up half of the nation's college enrollment. Now, three years later, nearly 500,000 Americans graduated from college compared to 160,000 in 1939. So here we see government policy working to help uh, people, working to help veterans, working to help their families, largely white people, okay? So you have a lot of Republicans who say they're against socialism, but the GI Bill was funded by taxpayer dollars and funded by the government, okay? But this is a type of socialistic program because you have uh, many people contributing to pay for this who can't take advantage of the benefits. And this totally changes who gets to go to college. All right. So uh, 19, uh, 1950, nearly uh, 500,000 Americans graduate from college compared to only 160,000 graduating in 1939, basically before World War II starts. Now, as educational institutions opened their doors to this diverse new group of students, uh, overcrowded classrooms and residences prompted widespread improvement and expansion of university facilities and teaching staffs. An array of new vocational courses were developed across the country, including advanced training in education, agriculture, commerce, mining, and fishing skills that have previously been taught only informally, that have previously been taught only informally. Now, the GI Bill became one of the major forces that drove economic expansion in America that lasted 30 years after World War II. And when we saw the H.R. Uh, 40 uh, hearing, in uh, August of 2019, that's around the 400th year anniversary of uh, August 20th, 1619, when those 20 and odd Africans came into uh, Virginia on the White Lion pirate ship. Uh, when we saw the uh, HR 40 um, uh, hearing in the House of Representatives, the subcommittee in the House of Representatives, Dr. Julian Malvo, who we've had here on the African History Network show before, Dr. Julian Malvo talked about the GI Bill and uh, how the GI Bill created uh, untold, um, how, how the GI Bill changed who got to go to college and how it created wealth for thousands of uh, uh, thousands of white families. You know, African-Americans uh, were uh, drastically discriminated against 
when it came to being able to use those benefits that we earned and that our taxpayer dollars were, were paying for. All right, let's continue here. Okay, so only 20% of the money set aside for uh, unemployment compensation under the bill was given out. Okay, only 20% of the money set aside for unemployment compensation for the bill was given out. As most veterans found jobs or pursued uh, higher education. Low interest home loans enabled millions of American families to move out of urban centers and buy or build homes outside the city, changing the face of the suburbs. So you have the baby boomer generation that's that that uh, basically, you know, 1945, 1946, basically started in 1946, uh, World War II ends. The GIs come back home. They start uh, they started families. They need to buy um, houses, okay? And then you have the uh, suburbs being formed. You're going to, they're going to be allowed to put down 3% down on low interest loans to get, um, uh, to buy houses in the uh, newly formed suburbs. And then uh, you're also going to have the expressway system that's going to be built. Uh, and that comes from the U.S. Interstate Highway Acts in 1952 and 1956. And they're going to drive uh, 41,000 miles of interstate highways all across the country. And that's going to run through about 1,600 African-American communities, okay, and wipe out a lot of our homes, wipe out a lot of our businesses. We see that in the Fillmore District in uh, San Francisco. Okay, 883 businesses wiped out, about 20,000 people displaced, and that uh, they were largely African-American. So th th there was an article um, that uh, from InTheseTimes.com, let me see if I can pull this up, InTheseTimes.com, uh, that dealt with um, Detroit's downfall. And it talked about um, the myth of black misleadership, Detroit's downfall, the myth of black misleadership. That's what the article was originally uh, called. They changed the title of it to um, half a century after Detroit uprising, city still stranded by capitalism and uh, federal government and federal government. Um, I think that, yeah, this is by Marilyn Katz for in these times, uh, dot com. And one of the things she talks about in this article and the original one called of uh, the myth of black misleadership, and it dealt with the city of Detroit. It talked about how when after when, uh, Coleman Alexander Young became mayor of Detroit in January, 1974. Um, and, African-American mayors started taking over these uh, uh, other inner cities. The cities were on life support that were given to us and had a declining tax base. They were suffering from white flight, things of this nature. But they were the victim of federal government policies, the victim of federal government policies. So the name of this article, August 8th, 2013, a half century after Detroit uprising. 
They're talking about the Detroit Rebellion, 1967. Cities still stranded by capitalism and federal government. Cities still stranded by capitalism and federal government. How federal policy and big auto drove black blight and white flight. How federal policy and uh, big auto, the auto industry, General Motors, Ford and Chrysler, drove black blight and white flight. This is from August 8th, 2013 by Marilyn Katz for InTheseTimes.com. And one of the things it talks about here is um, after World War II ends, okay? Uh, and they talk about the Great Migration fueled by a population explosion during the late 1930s and 1940s when tanks and airplanes for America's war effort rolled off the assembly lines. Uh, Detroit's population grew from 1.5 million people in 1930 to 1.8 million in 1950. And during the same period, thousands more uh, came for the relatively low-skilled but high-paying union-protected jobs uh, at places like Ford, Chrysler, Packard, and GM. However, by August 1967, Detroit had already lost more than 300,000 residents, equal to the population loss each decade since then. Okay, so they uh, go through, talk about the uh, auto industry, and pushing for some of these policies. And then um, they talk about this here. White workers, okay, in 1950, Detroit was a white dominated city. By 1970, most whites, more by 1970, more whites lived in the suburbs than in the city of Detroit. While ignited by the movement of auto jobs to the suburbs, this mass white exodus, this mass white exodus, was fueled by federal government, by the federal government and its policies. This mass white exodus was fueled by the federal government and its policies. In 1949, Congress passed the Federal Housing Act, 1949. Congress passed the Federal Housing Act. For the first time, home ownership required only 3% down for an attractive low interest rate mortgage. The Federal Housing Act guidelines favored mortgages in the new suburban developments that were popping up to meet uh, post-war demand and actively discouraged their use in older inner city neighborhoods, actively discouraged their use in older inner city neighborhoods. Armed with the new Federal Housing Act product, and veteran affairs loans, white workers moved with companies, with the companies to the suburbs, trading in their houses in what became a racially mixed city uh, in the inner city for a suburban tract home in then virtually all white sub suburbs. Rather than congregate with others on the way to work in a streetcar, they drove past sprawling suburbs on the new highways, on the new highways, lobbied for by Big Auto and built at taxpayer expense. The, the expressways, the, the um, U.S. Interstate Highway Acts in 1952 and 1956 were lobbied for by the auto industry, General Motors, Ford and Chrysler especially, and built with taxpayer dollars and then demolished African-American homes and businesses 
and then we're being discriminated against when it comes to buying these homes in the newly formed suburbs with with government programs like the the uh the fair house the federal housing act federal housing act in 1949 but then also the gi bill okay so we're being discriminated against from using government programs to buy homes in the suburbs and then the expressways paid for by taxpayer dollars are demolishing our businesses and homes in the inner city in the inner city okay let's continue So let's go back to this article here from uh, F- uh, history.com, FDR signs the GI Bill. And this is uh, these are some of the things that we talk about in the uh, 12-week online class that I teach on Sundays, um, Black resistance movements uh, from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968, okay? So our next class is Sunday, Sunday. Uh, March 26, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, and uh, you can register for that. That's a 12-week online class that I teach, and I teach the classes on, um, uh, we teach them on Saturdays and, and Sundays, okay? Saturday, it is um, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Saturday, it is ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understand the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. And we deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. And I'll just show you this. We have it right here on the homepage of our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. So when you go to the website, it shows you the uh, information about our radio show, Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show. We have a PayPal cash app information there so you can support us. Um, and then uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa understand the transatlantic slave trade. Next class is Saturday, March 25th. Click right here to register. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. And even after the course is over with, you have full access to the course. Uh, we have a bundle pack of, of classes, so you can register for both classes for only $120. It's a $300 value. And this is the class I teach on Sundays, uh, Black Resistance Movements, Haitian Revolution, Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement. Okay, so you can register for those. And we get deep into the history. These are 12-week online courses. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. So most people have never seen history taught like this before. We have tons of documentation for it as well. And you can use this information with your children also. I would say the content is PG-13. Um, so you can use the information with your children also, okay? So that's at our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. And as soon as you register, you, you can start watching the content. And then you can join us live in the class uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Okay, let's continue here. All right, let's go back to, I'm going to go back to the article here dealing with um, the GI Bill. All right, let's see here. Okay, so low interest home loans enabled millions of American families to move out of urban centers 
and buy or build homes outside the city, changing the face of uh, the suburbs. Now, over 50 years, over 50 years, the impact of the GI Bill was enormous with 20 million veterans and dependents uh, using the education benefits and 14 million homes guaranteed, okay? 20 million veterans and their dependents, okay? Their, their, their children using the education benefits from the GI Bill and 14 million home loans guaranteed because of the GI Bill for a total federal investment of $67 billion, $67 billion. Among the millions of Americans who have taken advantage of the GI Bill are former presidents George W. George H. W. Bush, the father, George H. W. George H. W. Bush, um, Gerald Ford, former Vice President Al Gore, and entertainers Johnny Cash, Ed McMahon, Paul Newman, and Clint Eastwood. So check out this article from. Um, history.com official website of the history channel this is uh, this day in history uh, June 22nd 1944 FDR signs the GI Bill okay now I want to um, go to uh, if, if you have uh uh, questions about the class, email us at ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We can help you. ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com. All right, now, uh, secondly, I want to go to this uh, other article here. Now this also ties into when we when we look at the discrimination when it comes to the GI Bill. This also ties into a history of redlining, okay? A history of redlining. And redlining was created by the federal government um around, right around 1937. There's a good piece from uh blackpass.org that deals with this. Let's see, let's pull up this piece from blackpass.org. And this deals with understanding government policy. So when we talk about repairing the damage of a legacy of 246 years of slavery, Decades of Jim Crow segregation, redlining, housing discrimination, discrimination when it comes to getting bank loans, home loans, uh, funding to go to college, etc. You have to change those laws and policies that were put in place that discriminated against us. Just cutting the check doesn't address that. OK, because those laws and policies that maldistributed wealth, power, resources and continue to inflict, inflict harm, those policies will still be in place if you don't correct them. You have to correct those laws and policies that now distributed the wealth power resources. One of them is dealing with the GI Bill. Just giving cash payments doesn't, doesn't address that harm 
because the laws and policies will still be in place. And after you spend the money, the money's gone and you're still being hurt by those policies. That's why we have to have comprehensive reparations. Okay. Not just cash payments. Cash payments can be part of overall comprehensive repairing of the damage or restitution or correcting structural inequities. Cause we need to take the term reparations, uh, out of, uh, the discussion and just focus on the policies that we need to get need the, the policies that we want in place. Just focus on that as opposed to talking about reparations because then reparations gets attacked because then it's associated with slavery and things like this. What we really should do is push the policies that we need to be in place to re to, to repair the damage and correct the harm that was done. Um, and then deal with a history of those laws and policies. And you can trace that back to slavery as opposed to the focus being on slavery. The focus should be on present day structural inequities and how to correct that because that is a legacy of slavery. Okay, redlining, 1937. This is from blackpass.org. Redlining refers to a discriminatory pattern of disinvestment and obstructive lending practices that act as an impediment to home ownership among African-Americans and other people of color. Okay, banks use the concept to deny loans to homeowners. Um, banks use the concept to deny loans to homeowners and would-be uh, homeowners who live in these neighborhoods. This in turn resulted in neighborhood um, economic decline neighborhood economic decline and withholding uh, and, the, and the withholding of services or their provision at an exceptionally high cost. The origin of the term redlining stems from the policies developed by the Homeowners Loan Corporation, which is a government program. The, gov the Homeowners Loan Corporation created in 1933 by the Franklin Pre President Franklin Delano Roosevelt administration to reduce home foreclosure home foreclosures to reduce home foreclosures during the Great Depression and then institutionalized by the 1937 US Housing Act which established the Federal Housing Association the FHA the Federal Housing Association now federal housing agencies uh, including the Homeowners Loan Corporation and the Federal Housing Association determined whether areas were deemed unfit for investments by banks, insurance companies, savings and loan associations, and other financial companies. The areas were physically demarcated with red shaping on a map, okay? They drew red, they drew red lines around areas in the inner city where African-Americans live, okay? And green lines uh, around out in the suburbs. In contrast, zones which were to receive preferential lending status were marked in green shading and intermediate areas in blue shading. Often these decisions were arbitrarily based on the area's racial composition the area's racial composition rather than the income levels. While the practice was almost universal before 
1968, the Civil Rights Act passed that year, which was the Fair Housing Act of 1968, which was as a result of the modern day civil rights movement. The Civil Rights Act passed that year theoretically outlawed redlining. Okay, but it's going to take another 20 years before it's really enforced. Nonetheless, its impact was felt long after that date. In a series of Pulitzer Prize winning articles, which appeared in 1988 under the title The Color of Money, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter Bill Dedman, D-E-D-M-E-N, described how Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia banks still discriminated uh, by the racial designation of neighborhoods, how Atlanta, Georgia banks still discriminated by racial designation of neighborhoods. His article illustrated how these banks were nearly twice as likely to lend to homeowners and prospective home buyers in low income white neighborhoods as compared to affluent African American areas. Okay. Uh, banks were nearly twice as likely to lend to homeowners and prospective buyers in low-income white neighborhoods as compared to affluent African-American areas. As a consequence of redlining, government program originally, neighborhoods that local banks deemed unfit for investment were left undeveloped or in disrepair. Attempts to improve these neighborhoods with even relatively small uh, business scale ventures were commonly obstructed by financial institutions that continued to label the underwriting as too risky or simply rejected them outright. When existing businesses collapsed, new ones were not allowed to replace them, often leaving entire blocks empty and crumbling. Consequently, African-Americans in those neighborhoods were frequently limited in their access to banking, health care, retail merchandise, and even groceries. Now, this is examples. These are examples of the harm that was done by a lot of government programs and how we are still dealing with the effects of that harm today. So when we talk about repairing the damage of these laws and policies and how it still shows up in structural inequities today, this is what we're talking about. So it was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out of this predicament as one of my teachers, Dr. Claude Anderson, correctly states. You have to understand the history of how all this was shaped. This is after slavery ends. And the GI Bill is one of the most significant pieces of government legislation that helped create those structural inequities. Okay, one notable exception to this, and still is, is the proliferation of liquor stores and bars which seemingly transcended the area stigma of financial risk. Redlining also led to an appreciable dearth or lack of employment opportunities in these neighborhoods as prospective small scale employers were uh, disinclined to locate there. Crime often followed in the wake of these 
declining neighborhoods, making further investment less likely. These developments created a cycle which seemingly justified the initial redlining practices. Okay, so check this piece out here from blackpast.org called Redlining, uh, 1937. Get some uh, background history uh, on redlining. Okay, and this came from the federal U.S. federal government. Uh, all right, now, then also we can look at this piece, this other piece here. This is from National Public Radio, NPR.org, a forgotten history of how the U.S. government segregated America. Um, a forgotten history. Hold on, let me pull this up. A forgotten history of how the U.S. government uh, segregated America. This is why understanding history, law, politics, and economics is so important. And politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources. And the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Okay. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. And politics influence, influences every aspect of our life. In 1933, faced with a housing shortage, the U.S. federal government began a program explicitly designed, explicitly designed to increase and segregate America's housing stock. Author uh, Richard Rothstein says the housing programs begun under the New Deal um, were, so the New Deal is roughly is right around 33, 34 through 1944, 1945. The GI Bill was the last uh, bill in the New Deal, okay? Um, author Richard Rothstein says the housing programs begun under the New Deal were tantamount to a, quote, state-sponsored system of segregation, end quote, a state-sponsored system of segregation. The government... The government's efforts were primarily designed to provide housing to white middle class, lower middle class families, he says. African Americans and other people of color were left out of the new suburban communities and pushed instead into urban housing projects. Rothstein's new book, The Color of Law, examines the local uh, state, examines the, uh, examines the uh, local state and federal housing policies, the local, state, and federal housing policies uh, that mandated segregation. He notes that the Federal Housing Administration, which was established in uh, 1934, furthered, furthered uh, the segregation efforts by refusing to insure mortgages in and near uh, African-American neighborhoods, a policy known as redlining. At the same time, the Federal Housing Administration, FHA, was subsidizing builders who were mass producing entire subdivisions for white people with the requirement that none of the homes be sold to African-Americans. Okay, so you have restrictive covenants uh, and restrictive covenants were in clauses written into the deeds that uh, 
these these homes could only be sold to white people. They could not be sold to African-Americans. These are restrictive covenants. Now, they're going to be um, made illegal. Restrictive covenants are going to be made illegal by the uh, Fair Housing Act of 1968. But you still have homes today that have those clauses in their deeds. Okay, so read the rest of uh, this article here. A forgotten history of how the U.S. government segregated America. So this is all dealing with laws and policies. Okay, so this this is why you have to understand history, politics, law, and economics when we talk about repairing the damage from these laws and policies. All right, how's everybody doing? Give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like on this broadcast. If you like this type of information, also you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. So we definitely need your help as well. And we are celebrating the 13th year anniversary of me broadcasting the um, African History Network show. So I first started um, March 10th, uh, 2010. So this is our 13th uh, year anniversary month. And uh, we definitely appreciate your support in the past. Definitely need it uh, today as well. This helps us keep doing the research down the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, et cetera, and register for the online history classes that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays also. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, and uh, black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, for more information and to register for those courses. As soon as you register, you start watching archive content. You can join us live in the class uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, let's continue. So there was a um, really good article Another one from history.com, official website of the History Channel. Now, this deals with how the GI Bill's promise was denied uh, to, to a million black World War II veterans. And we know they're going to be 1.2 million uh, black World War II veterans, African-American World War II veterans. Uh, let's look at this uh, article here. Okay how the GI Bill's promise was denied to uh, the GI Bill's promise was denied to a million black World War II veterans. The sweeping bill promised prosperity to veterans. So why didn't it, why didn't black Americans benefit? The sweeping bill promised prosperity to veterans. So why didn't black Americans Benefit. This is from uh, April 20th, 2021, originally from June 21st, 2019. Okay, so they talk about uh, an African-American veteran named Eugene Burnett, Eugene Burnett. And he want, he and his wife wanted to buy a home in Levittown in New York. And Levittown is known for racial discrimination, um, not uh, letting African-Americans live there historically. And it was in 1949, he and his wife wanted to buy uh, one of the new homes uh, being built in Levittown. And he was ready to settle down in a larger home with his family. 
the newly established Long Island suburb seemed like the perfect place to begin their post-World War II life, one that he hoped would be improved with the help of the GI Bill, okay? The, um, the Servicemen's Readjustment Act signed into law June 22nd, 1944 by President Roosevelt. And the GI Bill was a piece of sweeping legislation aimed at helping World War II veterans like uh, Burnett, like uh, Eugene Burnett, prosper after World War II. But when he spoke with a salesman about buying the house using a GI Bill guaranteed mortgage, the door to suburban life in Levittown slammed firmly in his face. The suburb was not open to African-American residents. The suburb was not open to African-American residents. Eugene Burnett's wife, Bernice, recalled this incident and said, quote, it was as though it wasn't real. Look at this house. Can you imagine having this? And then for them to tell me because of the color of my skin that I can't be part of it. Now, the Burnett's were, were not the only um, African-Americans for whom the promise of the GI Bill turned out to be an illusion. Though the bill helped white Americans prosper and accumulate wealth, prosper and accumulate wealth in the post-war -year, post years, it did not deliver on that promise for veterans of color, especially African-Americans. In fact, the wide disparity in the GI Bill's implementation ended up helping drive growing gaps in wealth, education, and civil rights between white and African-Americans. Now, while the GI Bill's language did not specifically exclude African-American veterans from its benefits, it was structured in a way that ultimately shut doors for 1.2 million African-American veterans who had bravely served their country during World War II in segregated ranks, bravely served their country during World War II in segregated ranks. So there was a fear of black advancement from this government policy by some Southern segregations, okay? And this changes how the benefits in the GI Bill uh, are going to be distributed. Okay, let's look at this here. And give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like on this broadcast. How's everybody doing? Follow us here on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Turn on live notifications so you know when we go live. Subscribe to our channels, please, also. All right, let's continue. How you all like this type of information? Okay, now when lawmakers began drafting the GI Bill in 1944, some Southern Democrats feared that returning black veterans would use public sympathy for uh, for veterans to advocate against Jim Crow laws, use public sympathy for veterans to advocate against Jim Crow laws to make sure that the GI Bill uh, largely benefited white people. 
the Southern segregationist Democrats drew on tactics they had previously used to ensure that the New Deal helped as few African-Americans as possible. Now, also, this is before the part of realignment completes in about 1968 as well. Um, after 64, when Barry Goldwater, senator from Arizona, runs against Lyndon Johnson uh, for president and Barry Goldwater loses. Then in 1968, when Richard Nixon, who ran for president in 1960 against John F. Kennedy, when Richard Nixon runs for president in 68, and he runs on the platform of law and order. And this is a backlash to the civil rights movement, the black power movement, the rebellions that are taking place across this country. Uh, he runs on that platform. There's a backlash to advancement of African-Americans. By 1960, two thirds of African-Americans have switched from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. And this goes back to 1928 and what's known as the Lily White Movement of 1928, which was an effort by uh, Republicans to push African-Americans out of the Republican Party and appeal to Southern segregationist Democrats in five former Confederate states to uh, get them to vote for Herbert Hoover in the 1928 presidential election against Al Smith, who was a moderate Democrat from New York. This was known as a Southern strategy, okay? Uh, this was known as a Southern strategy. And uh, it worked, Herbert Hoover became president uh, and the, the uh, Republicans were, uh, who had been the party of Lincoln, okay? Republicans who had been the party of Lincoln. And we know that, um, uh, the Republican Party is going to be founded in 1854 by groups of abolitionists and, you know, uh, uh, some members of the Whig Party, because the Whig Party, W-H-I-G, was, was dying out uh, by uh, 1954. And this was a direct backlash. The, form, the forming of the um, Re Republican Party was a direct backlash to what's known as the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, where you had... Um, uh, the Kansas-Nebraska Act left up to those uh, people living in Kansas and Nebraska, the new uh, states of Kansas and Nebraska left up to them to determine whether or not they had sl uh, slavery as opposed to it being dictated to them by the federal government. So it was a, a, a congressional law that allowed for the westward expansion of slavery, which infuriated a lot of uh, abolitionists. And this caused um, uh, a backlash and the Republican Party is going to be formed to be uh, formed by groups of abolitionists to push for the abolition of slavery and be a counter to the Democratic Party uh, at the time, which was heavy in the South. This piece here from House.gov History history.house.gov and house.gov is the official website of the uh, of the U.S. House of Representatives. This piece right here on party realignment. Uh, this deals with the uh, realignment of the political parties, 
not just the Democratic Party, but also the Republican Party. And that goes back to the uh, Lily White movement in 1928. And it deals with the rise of the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s and how Republicans were increasingly ignoring the, the uh, concerns of, of African-Americans and trying to uh, push us out of the Republican Party. And then uh, over time, we started going over to the Democratic Party because we saw them as being more receptive to our needs. And generally speaking, they were uh, more receptive to our needs, even though we were leery of them. And uh, over time, more of us started going over to the Democratic Party. And this talks about the uh, Lily White movement in 1928 and the effort of the uh, Republicans to get Herbert Hoover uh, elected as president. Okay, so that's what that that's where that goes to. It wasn't because of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1968 uh, or the Voting Rights Act of 1965. That's not why African-Americans switched from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. You got to go back like 40 years before that to the Lily White movement of 1928. Okay, I've done a whole lecture dealing with uh this history and the party realignment, things, things of this nature. Okay. Uh, so check this out here at uh, history.house.gov. It's called party realignment, party realignment. All right, let's continue. Let's go back to this uh, piece here from the GI Bill. Okay, so to make sure that the GI Bill largely benefited white people, the Southern uh, segregationist Democrats drew on tactics they had previously used to ensure that the New Deal helped um, as few black people as possible, helped as few black people as possible. During the uh, drafting of the law. During the drafting of the law, the chair of the House Veterans Committee, Mississippi Congressman John Rankin, who, who was a virulent racist, Mississippi Congressman John Rankin. He was a, he was a Southern segregationist Democrat and a virulent racist. OK, and you, you had the northern Democrats who were generally speaking, more moderate. Then you had the Southern segregationist Democrats, also known as Dixiecrats, okay, many of them. And then 1947, for, so for instance, 1947, 48 presidential election, the Democratic Party, generally speaking, they ran on a more pro-civil rights uh, agenda. You had Strom Thurmond, who was a Southern segregationist Democrat, who ran as a Dixiecrat for president also. Okay, he lost, thank, thank God, um, he lost. But because uh, of this, and then uh, you deal with uh, uh, President Harry Truman uh, and uh, President Harry Truman desegregating um, the uh, armed forces in 1946, OK, we'll talk about that because that that came after Sergeant Isaac Woodard was beaten by a police officer 
uh, World War II veteran, Sergeant Isaac Wood, who was beaten by a police officer, and he was blinded in the attack by a police officer, a white police officer. So during the drafting of the GI Bill, the chair of the House Veterans Committee, Mississippi Congressman John Rankin, played hardball with the uh, played hardball and insisted that the program be administered by individual states instead of the federal government. Okay, he insisted that the program be administered by individual states instead of the federal government. Mississippi Congressman John Rankin got his way. Rankin was known for his virulent racism. He defended segregation, opposed interracial marriage, and had even proposed legislation to confine, then deport every person with Japanese heritage uh, during World War II. Okay, so we know that took place about 1942, 1945, 46 or so, uh, right, in, um, right in that period of time during World War II. Yeah, so, uh, well, basically 1941, December 7, 1941 to um, uh, June 30 of 1946. All right, now, when the bill came to a committee veto, John Rankin stonewalled the bill in an attempt to gut another provision that entitled all veterans to $20 a week on unemployment compensation for a year. White supremacist John Rankin knew this would represent a significant gain for African-American Southerners, so he refused to cast a critical proxy vote in the process in the pro in protest the american legion ended up tracking down the congressman who had left his proxy vote with uh john rankin and fly and flying him to washington to break the deadlock president roosevelt signed the servicemen's readjustment act into law on june 22 1944 only weeks after the D-Day offensive began, it ushered into law sweeping benefits for veterans, including college tuition, low cost home loans and unemployment insurance. Now, when we look at the GI Bill's effect on um, African-American veterans. So from the start, African-American veterans had trouble securing uh, GI Bill benefits. Some could not access benefits because they had not been given an honorable discharge and a much larger number of African-American veterans were discharged dishonorably than uh, their white counterparts. And a lot of this has to do with racism in the, uh, you know, racism in the military, especially in the army. In the, in the mistreatment of um, uh, African-American soldiers. All right, let's continue. And, and a much larger number of black veterans were discharged dishonorably than uh, white counterparts. Now, veterans, would, uh, veterans who would qualify could not find facilities that delivered on the bill's promise, could not find facilities 
that delivered on the bill's promise, like for, for education, education facilities. Black veterans and vocational training program at a segregated high school in uh, Indianapolis were unable to participate in uh, activities related to uh, plumbing, electricity, and printing because adequate because adequate equipment was only available to white students. Okay, black veterans in a vocational training program at a segregated high school in Indianapolis were unable to participate in activities related to plumbing, electricity, and printing because adequate equipment was only available to white students. So this gets into getting beyond just the bill, but the capacity of institutions to be able to fulfill what the bill uh, offers, to have the equipment, to have the capacity, to have the number of classrooms, to have the number of professors or teachers, to be able to handle the influx of students coming in. It's one thing to have a bill that says we're going to allow this amount of funding to go to school and things like that. That's good. But the institutions also have to ha have to have the capacity to be able to handle the influx of students that are coming because of the bill. That requires more funding. Simple intimidation kept others from enjoying GI Bill benefits. In 1947, for example, a crowd hurled rocks at African-American veterans as they moved into a Chicago uh, housing project, uh, uh, housing development, okay? A crowd hurled rocks at black veterans as they moved into a Chicago housing development. Thousands of black veterans were attacked in the years following World War II, and some were singled out and lynched. Though John Rankin, um, Mississippi Congressman, racist John Rankin, though he had lost the battle to exclude African-American men from Veteran Affairs Employment Insurance, which is what he wanted to do, it was doled out inequitably, however. Men who applied for unemployment benefits were kicked out of the program if any other work was available to them, even work that provided less than subsistence uh, wages. Southern postmasters were even accused of refusing to deliver the forms that African-American veterans needed to fill out to receive their unemployment benefits. African-American veterans and civil rights groups protested their treatment, calling for, um, protested their treatment. Wait a second, close this out. Uh, Black veterans and civil rights groups protested their treatment, calling for protections like uh, black involvement in the veteran affairs uh, 
and non-discriminatory loans, but the racial disparities in the implement implementation of the GI Bill had already been set into motion. The racial disparities in the implementation of the GI Bill had already been set into motion. As the years went on, white veterans flowed into newly created suburbs, as I talked about, where they began amassing wealth in skilled positions. But African-American veterans lacked those options. The majority of skilled jobs were given to white workers. The majority of skilled jobs were given to white workers. Now, here's a picture here of um, Staff Sergeant Herbert Ellison explaining the GI Bill of Rights to African-American members of the Quartermaster Trucking Company. Okay, so this is probably 1944, 1945. Now, a white post-war housing boom and redlining in black neighborhoods. Okay, so this gets into um, what I was talking about dealing with uh, redlining. The post-war housing boom almost entirely excluded African-Americans, most of whom remained uh, in cities that received less and less investment from businesses and banks. Though the GI Bill guaranteed low interest mortgages and other loans, they were not administered by the VA itself. Thus, the Veteran Affairs uh, Office could co-sign, uh, but not actually guarantee the loans. This gave white-run financial institutions free reign to refuse mortgages and loans to African-Americans. So when we look at redlining, once again, it's a redlining was a decades old practice marking maps by race to characterize the risk of lending money and providing insurance. It made purchasing a home even more difficult for African-American veterans. Lenders froze out poor neighborhoods, ensuring that loan assistance and insurance would be would be denied okay lenders froze out neighborhoods froze out poor neighborhoods ensuring that loan assistance and insurance would be denied and new white suburbs often came with overly racist covenants that denied entry to black people so these are the restrictive covenants where it stated in the deed that the home could only be sold to someone white or uh, or, or uh, it could not be sold to uh, African-Americans, could not be sold to Negroes or non-white people, et cetera. So to give you an example, in 1947, only two of the more than 3,200 Veteran Affairs guaranteed home loans in uh, 13 Mississippi cities went to black borrowers, not 2%, but two. Okay, in 1947, now see, this is a, a legacy of slavery. This Present is why it's important to focus on 
the laws and policies that brought about these structural inequities that brought us to today. And then you can trace that history back to slavery, but focus on correcting present day structural inequities, especially in this climate where you're dealing with anti-critical race theory, laws being passed, you're dealing with the attack on the teaching of African-American history, and the fact that the majority of the people that have to vote on these bills, especially at the federal level, are white. And in the Senate, you need 60 votes in the Senate. So even with 51 Democrats, you still need nine Republicans to vote for any of these bills, unless they qualify for the budget reconciliation process, which requires then a simple majority, which is just 51. But most of these bills you need 60 votes for, including the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. You need 60 votes for that. And then you're done with the coup plotter, the coup plotter Republicans controlling the House of Representatives. Okay. And you only have 212 Democrats in the House, basically 212. So you need six Republicans to vote for any bill to get it passed in the house if all the republican if all the democrats vote for a bill you're going to need six republicans to vote for it and you're going to need um speaker of the house of representatives punk ass um uh kevin mccarthy to bring it to the uh floor house floor for a debate and a vote because he's a speaker of the house so he controls which bills come to the floor for debate and a vote and the bill would have to be voted out of committee in the first place and Republicans control all the committees in the House of Representatives. Okay, because they um, have more seats in the House because of the 2022 uh, midterm elections. All right, now. In 1947, okay, so basically two years after World War II ends, only two of the more than 3,200 veteran affairs guaranteed home loans in 13 Mississippi cities went to African-American borrowers. Only two out of 3,200. Quote, these impediments were not confined to the South End quote, notes historian Ira uh, Katznelson. He said, quote, in New York and the northern New Jersey suburbs, fewer than 100 of the 67,000 mortgages insured by the GI Bill supported home purchases by non-white people. Fewer than 100 out of 67,000. So there was a failure to receive GI Bill education benefits also, not just getting uh, loans to buy homes or uh, loans to start businesses, but also education benefits. Now, African-American veterans in search of the education they have been guaranteed fared no better. Uh, many black men returned home from the war uh, didn't didn't even try to take advantage of the bill's education benefits. They could not afford to spend time in school instead of working. But those who did were at a considerable disadvantage compared to their white counterparts. Those who did 
were at a considerable disadvantage compared to their white counterparts. Public education provided poor preparation for African-American students, and many of them lacked much educational attainment at all due to poverty and social pressures. As veteran applications uh, flooded universities, African-American students often found themselves left out. Northern universities dragged their feet when it came to admitting black students and Southern colleges barred African-American students entirely. And the veteran, and the, uh, Veteran Affairs Office itself encouraged African-American veterans to apply for vocational training instead of university admission and arbitrarily denied educational benefits to some students, arbitrarily denied educational benefits to some students. Now, this is a picture here, veterans lining up for a last day rush to get counseling on GI Bill educational courses at the New York Regional Office Veteran uh, uh, Veterans Administration um, on July 25th, 1951. Now those students who did try to attend college found doors closed at every turn. A full 95% of black veterans were uh, shunted out, uh, shunted out, shunted off to black colleges, institutions that were underfunded and overwhelmed by the influx of new students. Most were unaccredited, and with a mass influx in applicants, they had to turn away tens of thousands of veterans because they didn't have the capacity. This goes to capacity building. A lot, a lot of the HBCUs back at this time did not have the capacity to handle the huge influx of uh, the, the increase of African-American students coming in and who were being discriminated against because they couldn't go to a lot of white institutions in the South, okay? The ones who were fortunate enough to be able to get some type of, of funding to, to go to school, the uh, the HBCUs didn't have the capacity to handle those numbers. Quote, though Congress granted all soldiers the same benefits, theoretically, uh, writes historian Hillary Herbold, H-E-R-B-O-L-D, quote, the segregationist principles of almost every institution of higher learning effectively disbarred a huge proportion of black veterans from earning a college degree. Now the, the GI Bill of 1944 is one of the main pieces of legislation um, after slavery that's cited as largely contributing to the racial wealth gap. Now, the original GI Bill ended in July 1956. By that time, nearly 8 million World War II veterans 
had received education or training and four and 4.3 million home loans uh, were handed out worth $33 billion. Okay. Nearly um, by 1956, nearly 8 million World War II veterans had received education or training and 4.3 million home loans went out to uh, World War II veterans worth $33 billion. Okay had been handed out. Uh, but most African-American veterans have been left behind. As employment, college attendance, and wealth surged for whites, disparities with their African-American counterparts not only continued, but widened. Disparities with their African-American counterparts not only continued, but widened. There was uh, uh, Ira Cass, a historian Ira Cass Nelson says um, there was no greater instrument for widening an already huge racial uh, gap in post-war America than the GI Bill. Now today, a stark wealth gap between African American and White Americans persists. The median income for white households in 2019 this is median income not net worth median median income for white households in 2019 $76,057 according to the US census and for African American households $46,073 okay now when you look at uh net net worth median household net worth uh it's like for 2019 it was like uh, 17,000 for African-American households and about 170,000 for white households as median net worth, not average net worth. Median this is a statistical measure where 50% of the population is below uh, that point and 50% is above that point. Check out this article here from history.com, official website of the History Channel, how the GI Bill's promise was denied uh, to a million black World War II veterans. Okay. That's at history.com. Okay. So, uh, when we look at, and, and you have, um, a bill that's being reintroduced by representative James Clyburn and, uh, representative Seth Molden to address this issue. Okay. And, uh, help the, the, uh, families uh, or family members of World War II veterans, okay, and, and try to help repair some of this damage. There's an article from uh, thegrio.com, and I mentioned it briefly on the African History Network show this past Sunday. We'll probably talk about it um, on Faraji Muhammad's show, Culture. Uh, this week, probably on Thursday. Um, I should be on Thursday. They had uh, technical difficulties. Was going to be today, but uh, he was having technical difficulties. So I wasn't on the show today. They didn't broadcast uh, at all today. Let's look at this here. How's everybody doing? How you all like this type of information? We have Vanessa. We have Tony watching. Uh, LaShonda. Give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like on this broadcast. 
Also, we're celebrating the 13th year anniversary of the African History Network show of me broadcasting the African History Network show. First started March 10th, 2010. And you can support us in our work as well as we continue to educate, empower, and inspire people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct wrong behavior. You can support us at dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App and through uh, PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, or visit our website, uh, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, because uh, we have the information. Uh, on the home page of our website. We have the links there. All right, yes, yeah, because we have the information around the home page of our website. Okay, let's continue here. All right, now, if we look at this piece here from the griot.com, House Democrats reintroduce a GI Bill to help black veterans and descendants receive overdue benefits. This is from March 3rd, 2023 by uh, my girl Ashley Banks. Because um, uh, Ashley, I follow Ashley on um, was it Instagram, and uh, connected with Ashley through um, Roland Martin show. Because I'm on Roland Martin show on Friday, so that's how I connected with Ashley Banks a, a couple years ago. All right, now let's look at this here. So the GI Bill Restoration Act is probably the only shot we have of some kind of race-specific reparations in this country, said Richard Brookshire, co-founder and CEO of the Black Veterans Project. Okay, co-founder and CEO of the Black Veterans Project. And they have an interview with Richard here. Um, there's a clip of him, so they have the interview here in this article, so you can check that out as well. Uh, Black World War II veterans and their descendants have yet to receive the overdue GI Bill benefits. However, some House Democrats hope to change that. Uh, on February 28th, House uh, represent, uh, House Rep members, House Representative members James Clyburn, Democrat of South Carolina, and Seth Moulton, uh, Democrat of Massachusetts, reintroduced the Sergeant Sergeant Isaac Woodard Jr and Sergeant uh, Joseph H. Maddox's GI Bill Restoration Act. In an effort to seek justice for veterans and their descendants who are owed numerous benefits, veterans and their descendants who are owed numerous benefits. Okay, now here's a, a picture of the Harlem Hellfighters during World War One. The 369th Infantry Regiment, also known as the Harlem Hellfighters. Now, Richard Brookshire, co-founder and CEO of the Black Veterans Project, told the griot.com that the GI Bill might have might have to overcome some challenges before being signed into law. 
Uh, he said, I honestly feel like the GI Bill Restoration Act is fantastic, but I also know the political feasibility of that is very slim. I also know the po political feasibility of that is very slim. In most respects, because of the cost and then because there seems to be some level of disagreement about whether or not passing a piece of targeted racial policy like that would withstand judicial review. End quote. Yeah, because race-based policies um, at the federal level are illegal based upon Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Section 601. Uh, which is non-discrimination of federally assisted programs. Okay, so th this is why they would, um, they have to be careful. This is why they made a change in this reiteration of the uh, GI Restoration Act. I'll come to that in just a minute. You can read the Civil Rights Act of uh, 1964 at uh, archives.gov. See archives.gov, which is U.S. National Archives, as well as uh, loc.gov. see where is that okay that's civil rights act in 1964 and okay well um let to pull that up here The second word, uh, U.S. Department of Labor. Yeah, U.S. National Archives. This should be it right here. Okay, U.S. National Archives. This is archives.gov. Civil Rights Act, 1964, okay? U.S. National Archives, and we want to go to Title VI. A non-discrimination of federally assisted programs. Section 601. No person in the United States shall, on the ground of race, color, or national origin, uh, be excluded from participation be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance, okay? So this, this is why race-based policies at the federal level are illegal. 
and that was put into the 1964 Civil Rights Act because we were being discriminated against when it comes when it came to you know a lot of federal policies. That's Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Non-Discrimination in Federally Assisted Programs, that's Section 601. So you can check that out at archives.gov. Okay, let's continue here. All right, so they talk about uh, President Roosevelt signing the GI Bill in 1944, uh, and, the, and the GI Bill was signed into law to assist uh, veterans and their family members, qualifying veterans and their family members with paying for higher education, training programs, and other benefits, according to the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs website. Yet many African-American veterans did not receive any benefits after putting their life on the line for the United States. Quote, these black veterans who served their country, who died, whose families are still trying to recoup, and they can't even get the benefits from what they deserved only because they were black. It's a shame and disgrace, said, um, uh, said Lee. Uh, Representative Barbara Lee, uh, she called, the, she, uh, she, she recently spoke to the grill.com and called it a disgrace, uh, how the African American veterans were treated. She said the black veterans who serve their country, who died, whose families are still trying to recoup, they can't even get the benefits from what they deserved only because they were black is a shame and a disgrace. Uh, she's also running for a U.S. Senate in California in the 2024 uh, election. Now, this latest measure was named after uh, Sergeant uh, Isaac Woodard and uh, Sergeant Maddox to honor the two black sergeants who faced discrimination in the U.S. after serving in World War II. On February 12, 1946, just hours after being honorably discharged from the United States Army, a South Carolina police officer violently assaulted 26-year-old Isaac Woodard and left him permanently blind. President Harry Truman was so horrified by the ordeal that on June 26, 1948, he issued an executive order uh, to desegregate the armed forces, Time Magazine reported. Okay, so this deals with, I want to go to... Um, this other article here from the Washington Post. And this deals with the beating of Sergeant Isaac Woodard in uh, 1946. Uh, February 12, 1946. This right here. A black World War II veteran was beaten and blinded, fueling the civil rights movement, fueling the civil rights movement. A new documentary explores how Isaac Woodard changed America. This is from March 31st, 2021, okay, by Deneen L. Brown for the Washington Post. She writes some really good articles for the Washington Post, okay? Now, here's Sergeant Isaac Woodard after he was beaten. 
Okay, World War II veteran Isaac Woodard after he was blinded in an assault by police. This picture's from the Library of Congress. In February of 1946, Sergeant Isaac Woodard, a decorated black soldier just returning from World War II, rode a Greyhound bus uh, heading home to South Carolina. Sergeant Isaac Woodard had just been honorably discharged from the uh, army and was still wearing his uniform, still wearing his uniform. And he asked the bus driver to stop so that he could use the restroom. The driver reluctantly pulled over calling Sergeant Isaac Woodard boy. Woodard who had just returned from more than three years of military service in the Pacific stood up for himself and other African-American veterans telling the driver not to talk to him like that. He said, I'm a man just like you. At the next town, which was Batesburg, South Carolina, the uh, white driver of the Greyhound bus called the police. The Batesburg police chief pulled Sergeant Isaac Woodard off the bus and immediately began beating him plunging a blackjack into each of Sergeant Isaac Woodard's eye sockets and blinding him. This is the white police chief there in Batesburg, South Carolina. Okay, now Sergeant Isaac Woodard was taken to jail where he would later explain that someone poured whiskey on him to say that he had been drunk. He spent the night in excruciating pain. The next morning he was taken to court in order to sign papers that uh, he could not see or read. A new documentary, which came out in um, 2021, right around March, April, 2021, a new documentary called The Blinding of Isaac Woodard, directed by Jamila Efron, E-P-H-R-O-N, and narrated by Andre Holland, premiered a Tuesday on American Experience on PBS. The documentary explores the story of Isaac Woodard's life and how the beating, uh, how the beating fueled the civil rights movement and changed the trajectory of U.S. history. Okay, now uh, let's see if we continue here. I'm going to skip over some of this. The documentary uncovers how a single individual can be the spark that ignites a movement and creates a seismic shift in public opinion, said Cameo George, the film's executive producer. Although his name is little known today, Sergeant Isaac Woodard's story changed hearts and minds and the law of the land. Because this is going to lead to the desegregation of armed forces. Uh Okay, now two months after Sergeant Isaac Woodard was blinded, he traveled to New York City where he met with Walter White, Executive Secretary of the NAACP. The NAACP's legal team, led by Thurgood Marshall, had been looking for civil rights cases that could dramatize the impact of Jim Crow laws, lynchings, white supremacy, police brutality, and racial violence committed against people against African-Americans, racial violence committed against black people. 
And here's a picture of uh, Thurgood Marshall. This is from 1958 outside of the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, hundreds of African-American veterans have been attacked and an unknown number were lynched. The NAACP offices were filled with harrowing reports of African-American veterans lynched. Uh, one black veteran had been murdered for casting a vote in a primary. In July of 1946, uh, four black people, including George W. Dorsey, a distinguished uh, veteran who had served in World War II in the Pacific and North Africa, were beaten, tortured, fatally shot, and hanged from Moore's Ford Bridge in, Walt in Walton County, Georgia, in what is called the last mass lynching in America. What is called the last, last lynching in America. This is July 1946, okay, in uh, Walton County, Georgia. Uh, it's uh, they were hung from the Moore's Ford Bridge. Jamila Efron, the uh, film's director, okay, uh, of the blinding of uh, Isaac Woodard. She says so many people did not survive their encounters with police officers. Here, someone had survived. Isaac Isaac Woodard's face bore the evidence of the crime committed against him. End quote. She said. Now, unlike so many other African-American veterans who had been lynched, Isaac Woodard lived to tell his story. The NAACP was able to use uh, Isaac Woodard to galvanize people, Jamila, Jamila Efron said. Isaac Woodard traveled the country on a speaking tour, a benefit concert headlined by uh, Billie Holiday, Woody Guthrie and Duke Ellington was organized to raise money for Isaac Woodard. Heavyweight champion Joe Lewis co-chaired the concert. Now, um, Sergeant Isaac Woodard took the stage speaking in a low voice. The audience of more than 20,000 people fell silent. He said, I spent uh, three and a half years in service. I spent three and a half years uh, in service of my country and thought I would be treated as a man when I returned to my country. But that was a mistake, he said. Now, Sergeant Isaac Woodard's story resonated. More than 900,000 African-American men fought in World War II, about 1.2 million fought in World War II. Most of them returned home to the South, carrying themselves with dignity of having fought for their country, hoping they would be treated with respect. Instead, many were attacked simply for wearing their uniforms. Instead, many were attacked simply for wearing their uniforms. Now, Jamila Efron um, said, quote, it coalesced with a moment when yet again, black men had gone off to fight for human rights to come home and have those rights denied to them. It reached a tipping point almost, uh, it, it reached a tipping point amongst black veterans and black communities that enough was enough, that enough was enough. 
Now, the NAACP asked actor Orson Welles to use his weekly radio show to highlight the brutal attack on Isaac Woodard. Week after week, Orson Welles pounded at the question, who was the officer who beat and blinded uh, Woodard? Orson Welles asked for help in identifying the town where Isaac Woodard was beaten and the name of the officer. Quote unquote, Officer X, Isaac Welles, uh, 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 Orson Welles announced, I'm talking to you. You are going to be uncovered. Now, within days, uh, the NAACP received a letter from an African-American soldier who wrote he that he was on the bus when Sergeant Isaac Woodard was pulled off. The letter, the letter writer identified the town where the beating occurred as Batesburg, South Carolina. Orson Welles announced, Officer X, we now we, we know your name now. Officer X, we know your name now. Now, here's uh, Isaac Woodard applying for maximum disability benefits, and his mother stands uh, to his right. So on September 19th, 1946, um, Walter White of the NAACP led a delegation of civil rights leaders to meet with President Harry Truman to urge him to work to pass anti-lynching legislation. Okay, we know federal anti-lynching legislation did not pass until uh, 2022, and it was signed in law by President Joe Biden. That was the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill. When Walter White realizes Harry Truman isn't going to move forward, according to uh, the PBS documentary, he tells the president, also a veteran, who, who he tells the president and, and Truman was also a veteran the story of Isaac Woodard and Harry Truman was enraged quote he had taken this meeting with civil rights leaders reluctantly and was prepared to brush them off Jamila Efron said when Harry Truman heard about the police attack on Woodard a veteran a veteran Harry, President Harry Truman said, quote, uh, my God, I didn't know it was this bad. We've got to do something, Jamila Efron said. Now, the next day, uh, President Harry Truman ordered his attorney general to bring federal charges against Batesburg Police Officer Chief Linwood L. Shull, S-H-U-L-L, okay, Linwood L. Shull. who was charged with violating the civil rights of Sergeant Isaac Woodard by blinding both of his eyes. Now, a month later on November 5th, 1946, um, police chief uh, Linwood L. Shaw, his trial began in Columbia, South Carolina. The trial was presided over by Judge uh, Waites W-A-T-I-E-S, Waring, uh, the son of a Confederate soldier, 
Okay, Judge J. Waitis Waring, W-A-R-I-N-G. He was the son of a Confederate soldier. During the trial, in South Carolina is where the Civil War started also, by the way, uh, April 12, 1861. Now, during the trial, Isaac Woodard testified that he was pulled off of the interstate bus on the night of February 13, 1946 in Batesburg, uh, South Carolina. Uh, Shaw was waiting for him at the at this bus door, he said, and struck him uh, before he could say anything. According to a 1946 United uh, United Press news article, quote, two war veterans, a Negro and a white who were discharged at Augusta the same day as Isaac Woodard and rode on the bus with him testified that the Negro was not drunk and had not created a disturbance. The all white jury deliberated only 15 minutes before acquitting police chief uh, Linwood L. Shaw. Okay, can you believe that? This is South Carolina, this uh, racist South Carolina in 1946. They del deliberated for 15 minutes before acquitting the white police chief. Quote, Judge Waring and his wife uh, are appalled at the blatant miscarriage of justice. According to uh, PBS, Waring would devote the rest of his career to, to the fight against racism. The Warings become the targets of threats and violence. Now, on December 5th, 1946, uh, a month after the trial ended, President Harry Truman signed an executive order creating the President's Committee on Civil Rights, creating the President's Committee on Civil Rights. On June 28, 1947, President Harry Truman accepted the invitation from the NAACP's Walter White to speak at the organization's annual convention, okay? Uh, he said, there's no justifiable reason for discrimination because of ancestry or religion or race or color. He said, we cannot any longer await the growth of a, of a will to action in the slowest state of the most backward community, in the slowest state of the most backward community, our national government must show the way, end quote. Now, a month later, on July 26, 1946, President uh, Harry Truman signed executive orders 9980 and 9981, racially integrating the U.S. military and the federal government workforce, racially integrating the U.S. military and the federal government workforce. And this is going to, uh, especially the federal government workforce, this is going to allow more African-Americans to get um, employed in the federal government and create more upward mobility, especially in subsequent years, uh, like after... Um, going to the 50s and then the 60s and the modern day civil rights movement, et cetera. So that came, that was as a result of Sergeant Isaac Woodard's beating and blinding. And it was President Harry S. Truman who uh, signed those executive orders. Okay, now, um, if we look here at, if we go back to the article 
here from the griot.com. So I want to give you some background history on Sergeant Isaac Woodard because this uh, bill that's being proposed is partly named after him. Now, according to a press release from Representative James Clyburn's office, uh, Sergeant Maddox was medically discharged from the Army after sustaining an injury. Upon his return to the uh, U.S., he was accepted into Harvard University. However, he was denied tuition uh, assistance. Okay, that's Sergeant uh, Joseph H. Maddox. However, he was uh, um, denied tuition assistance. The NAACP and Veteran Affairs uh, uh, Office advocated on Sergeant Joseph Maddox, Maddox's behalf to ensure justice was served. Representative James Clyburn's office uh, further highlighted the racial disparities that occurred after President Roosevelt signed the GI Bill into law. He talked about in 1947, only two of more than 3,200 home loans administered by the uh, Veteran Affairs Office in uh, Mississippi cities, it was 13 Mississippi cities went to African-American borrowers. Roughly, uh, Representative Clyburn said roughly 19% of white World War II veterans earned a college degree compared to just 6% of black veterans, end quote. Uh, and then he said uh, black veterans sacrificed for this country because they believed in the promise of justice and equally for all. Yet while the original GI Bill led to decades of prosperity for post-World War II America, this prosperity was not extended to the black service members, end quote. Now, uh, Brookshire told the, um, Richard Brookshire told the griot.com that other discriminatory practices such as redlining also contributed to the widening to widening the racial wealth gap between uh, African-Americans and, and, and white veterans. Okay, uh, let's see, let's go to, and now for the GI Bill Restoration Act to move forward, it must be passed in the House of Representatives and then, uh, and then it has to be passed in the Senate before uh, it can be signed in the law. Uh, Brookshire told the, the griot.com, GI Bill is probably the only way, the only shot, the, G, the GI Bill Restoration, Restoration Act, is probably the only shot we have of some kind of race specific reparations in this country. And I think it should pass in full. All right, now, um, February 28th, I think it was February 28th, uh, yeah, February 28th, 2023, Representative James Clyburn and Seth Moulton were on uh, Morning Joe on MSNBC, okay? And I want to go to that clip here. How's everybody doing? We'll go to that clip here in just a minute. All right, how's everybody doing? Uh, Ali Garrett said, um, he said, every time... Uh, the Democrats proposed a bill to help uh, black Americans or other minorities, women and the poor, the Republicans just block it. And anybody who is not a, a heterosexual, which white man gets no help in America. 
Um, that's why, and that's why Republicans have to be taken out of power, and you got to get to. Uh, so Democrats have to take back control of the House of Representatives, and I need I'm neither Democrat nor Republican, but I sure as hell ain't stupid. I can see who keeps blocking and voting against policies that are beneficial for us, and I can see who keeps voting for policies that are beneficial for us, and who keeps writing those policies. And that's why Democrats have to take back control of the House of Representatives. But also you need to get like 54, 55 Democratic senators so that you can uh, uh, do a carve out to the filibuster in uh, the Senate or uh, change the filibuster and go back to a talking standing filibuster. OK, because as it stands now, you have to get 60 votes to get um, any of these bills passed unless it's dealing with. Unless it's dealing with uh, federal judges. OK. You have to get 60 votes and uh, federal judges or U.S. Uh, or U.S. Supreme Court judges, unless it's dealing with judges and trying to get 60 votes is a tall order in the Senate. All right. Now, I want to go to this clip here. This is from Morning Joe and um, Representative James Clyburn and Seth Moulton are talking about uh the bill that they are reintroducing also if you like this type of information you can support the african history network dollar sign the ahn show through cash app dollar sign the ahn show through cash app also through paypal paypal.me forward slash the ahn show and we also have the information on the home page of our website and this is our official cash app account uh dollar sign the ahn show there's some fake african history network cash app accounts out there that I'm still trying to get shut down. This is ours. Our tag is dollar sign the AHN show S H O W. When you go to it, it'll say Michael. May show my picture there also. These other ones are fake African History Network cash app accounts. I've identified five of them. And they're using versions of our cash app tag. And they've been stealing money from us. Okay. So it's creating a huge problem. Um so we have the information right here on the homepage of our website also, and you can just click on our link and it has a QR code as well for cash app here. And we have the link for PayPal also. All right. I, I want to go to this clip here uh, from Morning Joe, where they explain uh, this bill and why it's so important. More than two years ago, we spoke with Democratic Congressman Seth Moulton of Massachusetts and Jim Clyburn of South Carolina about a push to restore the GI Bill originally signed into law back in 1944. Right now, they're reigniting those efforts in the new Congress and join us uh, to discuss that push. It's great having you guys here. Uh, Jim, how's it go? Always great to see you, Jim. How's it going? Going very well. Thank you very much for having us this morning. It's always good to hang out with this Joe as well. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and how, how are the efforts uh, for the, the new GI Bill going? Well, we just reintroduced it for the second time. Uh, Seth and I uh, did it last Congress, and we did not get far with it. But, you know, I'm from where, the area of the country that says, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. So we're going to make another effort in this Congress, and hopefully we'll get some traction on this bill. It's much uh, needed and worthwhile. Robinson, uh, ex ex explain to us exactly what your bill 
would do and who it would help? Well, if you look at what happened uh, after World War II, uh, many soldiers came back having uh, won a tremendous victory, uh, and a lot of those soldiers were African Americans who fought uh, to win that war on the promise of America. But when they got home, uh, the GI Bill was put in place uh, to do basically to educate them, to give housing to them so they could get reestablished uh, back in their communities. But the black soldiers did not get the benefit of it. Uh, in New York and New Jersey's suburbs, only 1% of those loans went to African Americans. Uh, and you get to just a GI Bill alone in 1947, out of 3,000, only two, not 2%, two went to African Americans. And so you can't pass on the wealth if you don't get the benefits of it. So those soldiers who got the GI Bill, purchased homes, passed on that equity to their children and grandchildren, black soldiers did not get it. And so what we're doing with this legislation is asking for us to visit this issue, take a hard look at what soldiers did not get it, and look at what we can do for their surviving spouses, children, and other relatives. Congressman Moulton, uh, I grew up on a street that is right at the edge of your congressional district. And on my street when I was growing up, nearly half of the families were recipients and beneficiaries of the GI Bill from World War II. So my question to you, and, and uh, with Congressman Clyburn there as well, uh, my question to both of you, but start with you, Senator M Congressman Moulton, what can we do? to publicize, to make known more widely the fact of those benefits of the GI Bill that can be accrued now to people who have been fighting our wars for nearly 20 straight years? Well, that's a great question, because as a Marine veteran myself, someone who would not be here in Congress without the benefits of the GI Bill, and I can say that confidently, I had no idea that this had occurred, that so many black veterans who fought right alongside white uh, soldiers and Marines in World War II were simply denied these benefits that they had earned when they came home. And the two ways to, to gain wealth in America that everybody knows are getting an education, going to college, and having a home. Those were denied to so many black veterans. But it was actually a Marine in my office who heard about this, brought it to my attention, and that's why I wrote this bill. And when I looked for the first co-sponsor, I looked to the moral leader of, of our caucus and our Congress, uh, Jim Clyburn, so we can get it across the finish line. We're, we're not doing this because it's politically easy. We're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And Congressman Clyburn, what do you have to say about, about making this more widely known? Well, I, I think that we have to keep these kinds of efforts going. And we have to put a face on it. Uh, Sergeant Maddox, uh, who did not get uh, educational benefits up at Harvard uh, because they did not want to set a precedence. Uh, Sergeant Woodard, uh, down in uh, South Carolina, who had his eyes punched out uh, by a deputy sheriff and was blinded for the rest of his life in his uniform, coming home from World War II. We've named this legislation after these two sergeants, and we think that their children and their descendants, many of whom I've met and have interacted with, uh, we can get this across the finish line if more people knew uh, that this had occurred. 
Just think about the Tuskegee Airmen and the glory that we've given to them. Uh, yeah, they uh, have okay. to be so heroes out, in World War uh, II. Many of them were denied the GI Bill, uh, and we want to that rectify is from that. Uh, February 28, 2023. House Dems push to restore GI Bill to to help benefit families of Black World War II uh, vets. Okay, and we'll post the um, link here to that video also here on the thread of the broadcast. Um, okay, we'll post the link here, but that's at uh, MSNBC's YouTube channel. That's from February 28th, 2023. Okay, lastly, there, there was a good article from uh, this is NBCWashington.com, NBC News in, in, in Washington, uh, Washington, D.C., NBC News, uh, Channel 4, Washington. Um, benefits denied older black veterans battled for GI education and housing compensation disability payments. Benefits denied older black veterans battled for GI education and housing compensation disability payments. Okay, so they go through, and they also talk about Lawrence Brooks. This, this, this article came out uh, February 25th, 2023, and they talked about uh, Lawrence Brooks, who uh, turned 110 years old, and he was the oldest World War II veteran, African-American veteran. Um, and they talk about the discrepancies in the GI Bill and um, the... Uh, GI Bill Restoration Act um, introduced by Seth Moulton and Rep uh, Representative James Clyburn. Uh, another of his sponsors, see, one approach, one approach to GI Restoration, the GI Bill Restoration Act would award those lost benefits to the descendants of black veterans. It was introduced in Congress in 2021 but the, uh, but with the price tag of seventy billion dollars, as estimated by one of his sponsors, a Democratic representative, Self Moulton of Massachusetts, it faltered. Another of his sponsors, James Clyburn of South Carolina, has vowed uh, to reintroduce it to honor veterans who fought for America, for American freedoms but he doubts the bill will pass in the newly Republican-controlled House of Representatives. In the meantime, Representative James Clyburn is supporting a compromise that might have a better chance of passing. It would make home loans available to descendants of all veterans, regardless of race, who did not receive them. It would make home loans available to descendants of all veterans regardless of race who did not receive them. And rather than education benefits paid by the federal government, it would provide no money down low interest home loans backed by the Department of Veteran Affairs. Quote, these were the people who made sacrifices to guarantee these freedoms, uh, James Clyburn said, and they ought to be treated fair. Okay, so read the rest of this article here. It's kind of a lengthy one from uh, NBC Channel 4, Washington, NBCWashington.com, 
Benefits Denied, Older Black Veterans Battle for GI Education and Housing Compensation Disability Payments. This is from uh, February 25th, 2023. It was updated February 27th, 2023. All right. So check out that article from uh, NBC Washington. Uh, also, it's a rather lengthy uh, article. Uh, if you like this type of information, if you like this type of history, be sure to register for the uh, online history classes that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Okay. So uh, Saturday, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. Um, I'll share some excerpts of interviews I've done with uh, various uh, African Senate scholars like Professor uh, Kabahaya Wafa Kamene and Renoko Rashidi, because I've interviewed uh, a lot of these scholars over the years, 13 years, I've been doing the African History Network show. So I have a huge archive of interviews that I've done. Um, and then even after the course is over, if you still have access to the full uh, class and you can watch on demand as much as you want to. Classes on sale, $80, regularly $130. So if, uh, we definitely need your support. This helps to uh, finance the African History Network. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, pay some of the bills, et cetera, because we're dealing with uh, some financial challenges this week that I'm trying to, um, actually in the next couple of days that I'm trying to get taken care of. So we definitely need your support. Uh, I posted the link here, it's at our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, but this is also the direct link um, on uh, on our Learn World platform where we house the uh, classes. So it's on sale $80, regularly $130. There'll be five bonus lectures that you get from me also that um, uh, will be in the video library, five of my lectures. And then on Saturday, on Sundays, uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I teach Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement. Okay, that's 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time also. And we deal with history from 1800 to 1968. We start out with the Haitian Revolution and the Louisiana Purchase of 1803 because those two incident, uh, events are related. And they're going to lead to, um, those are going to be some things that lead to the Civil War taking place also. Uh, so same price structure for that, same format in the class. Now we have a bundle pack. We can register for both classes for um, only $120. That's a $300 value, okay? If you've taken any of my classes in the past, any of my online classes in the past, email me at ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Email us at ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com, and uh, you'll get a 50% discount on uh, the bundle pack of courses. Okay, you get a 50% discount on the bundle pack of courses. Email us at ahnshow at theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Uh, now, also on Saturday, I'm doing a free lecture, a free online lecture at an online school dealing with uh, great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. We know March is Women's History Month and Black Women's History Month. 
Um, so 12 noon to 1.30 p.m. We'll do Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. This is part two. I did part one this past Saturday. That's a free online lecture that you can register for also. We have the information around the homepage of our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Okay, so look, that's going to do it for us. Hopefully you learned a lot today. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like on this broadcast. Um, please also financially support the African History Network. If you like this type of information, if you learned a lot from us over the past 13 years, or if you just found out about us today, we definitely need your support as well. Uh, remember, right now is correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace.